What up? What up? How's it going? Uh, it goes. <laughs> it goes indeed. Happy, uh, happy Shark Week. Oh, it's happy Shark Week. You know Man, not is. not being in the Navy, I feel like out of the loop on Shark Week. It was like every time it happened, everybody talked about it. Yeah, that's because it was a mortal threat. <laughs> So welcome to episode three of Mollins and Chow. Um, Joe Collins, we got Drew Chabe on the other side. Before we begin today, I just want to uh, apologize to our listeners in that uh, just like the way it was coming across on the internet, I got the uh, ethnicity and background of the um, the lady who beat up the old man here in L.A. wrong. Apparently, I was not the only one. Um, There's several people online who uh, kind of felt a little misled um, by the news articles that omitted that. And granted, it's not the media's role to necessarily identify all of that information. But I do think in the current age of Trump and a lot of the rhetoric that we've heard um, that when you omit certain types of information, it it does... Um, cause people to think that things are different than they actually are. And I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that, Chabe, before we begin with uh, the rest of our episode. I do. And um, I, I think it's important to note that we, we both got sucked into that. People that do a lot of diligent fact-checking. And, I mean, it can happen to anybody. And it, it is the media's job to, to do what they can to make things clear and not sensationalize certain topics because it definitely mutters, muddies the waters and makes this whole thing a whole lot more difficult. So you just it just goes to show that you have to be careful and you have to really fact check everything you read, no matter where it's coming from. Yeah, and so for us, you know, the way that we're our approach to this is this is an iterative process, and we really want to use this platform to be better and better storytellers and and better um, representatives of, of of the news and just whatever topics we're talking on be a reliable news source so if we do make errors it's very important to us to make sure that we clarify it um as soon as possible we did in the episode and and we you know the first thing we did with this episode is to clarify it again um and so that's that um we'll move on to uh, our first topic of the day um we kind of want to talk about states rights um it's an issue that in the past um you know was brought up during the civil war it's been brought up during uh, was brought up during the era of civil rights, um, but more recently, it's been brought up in the era of um, the repeal of marijuana prohibition. So it's not an issue that really belongs to any one side, um, but in particular, one news art, um, piece of news that really discussed this idea of states' rights and federalism, um, and and the rights of the people, is the Oregon State Park occupiers. They were recently pardoned by um, President Trump um, after doing an armed occupation of a, a state park there in Oregon, or it was a federal facility, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> kind of wanted to get some of your thoughts, Chow Bay, on on what you think about this episode and what kind of uh, implications uh, this pardon has. So I think this story is catching on because um, there's this like underlying notion that big government can't do anything right and that it infringes on the rights of sovereign citizens. So that is something that has been kind of adopted by the right and they've been running with it. So while it might seem a little bit ridiculous that they would take so kindly to people that literally took up arms to against law enforcement over something seemingly so uh, menial, it's it actually does kind of go with their party lines and their idea that government shouldn't really have a hand in anything other than just protecting the country. So essentially these guys went to jail because they continued to, um, to violate certain uh, statutes. So they had set a bunch of different fires that got out of control and went on to BLM properties. And it wasn't just the fires that got them in trouble. They had been a nuisance for over 20 years. And these guys had uh, had encouraged 
other locals that supported their cause to call and threaten the lives of these uh, BLM federal employees. And they were just generally ignoring all of the warnings they were given to say, hey, look, you, you have to obey the law. And they feel like there is no need for the government to protect land. There's no need for the government to tell them how, what they can and can't do when it comes to where their cattle can graze and things like that. So that's how this whole thing started. And it looks like to a certain extent, these guys were, were cattle ranchers um, and they felt like activities at the park were interfering with, um, uh, with their business or with, uh, with their practice. Yeah. And it, I think it stems from this, uh, this belief that resources are infinite and there's no reason to protect them. So it's just kind of an arrogant worldview, in my opinion, where they, uh, let's see here. So the first fire that they set that they got in trouble for was in 1999 that uh, they claim was an accident that just escaped into BLM land, which is Bureau of Land Management. And the agency reminded them that they need a burn permit, which, which is uh, very important. It was a similar thing out in Moab if you were going to burn anything, anywhere in the desert or anywhere where it's really dry grasslands, you're going to need a burn permit if you're going to burn anything because these fires can get out of control. And that's another thing is uh, every fire call in one of these smaller towns is going to run up thousands of dollars. So it's actually a nuisance to the taxpayers for them to have to come do this over and over again. And it seems like these guys got many, many warnings and continued to do things like uh, illegally killing entire herds of deer to keep them from coming onto their grazing land, obstructing uh, the construction of a fence out here in uh, BLM land that was designed to keep their cattle from going a certain, to a certain area. And so essentially they knew what, they took kind of a plea deal of sorts where they said, all right, we're gonna drop some of these lesser charges, but you will have to do the mandatory minimum of five years. And so they ended up taking that deal. And uh, then the uh, Trump administration bought into the notion that that was too harsh of a sentence for these guys. Yeah. I'm reading a little bit about it and it says that uh there was up to 27 militants and they you know they were basically essentially part of a militia um and part of one of the affiliated militias was this group called the three percenters of idaho um and that the 27th guy that they arrested um actually had a fully automatic 50 caliber M2 um, and it was stolen. And this was another one of the charges. Um, And this guy in particular supplied um, another militant at the refuge with a AK-47. So it it doesn't seem like they necessarily waged a full-on assault, but it was more of this armed standoff to a certain extent. And to clarify, it was with the federal... um, presence there in Oregon, not the state presence. Yeah, so those were the guys, uh, the Bundy guys that came out there in 2016. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so they came in a protest of these guys, the original guys, the Hannon prison sentences, because they also believed they were too harsh. And uh, Bundy had received similar treatment because they had that standoff a couple uh, months, I believe, earlier, where... Um, he, the, the federal government had threatened to come and take his cattle because he wouldn't pay grazing fees for letting them come on to, uh, to state-owned or federal-owned land. So on, <clears throat> on the implication side, you know, in the past, um, the federal government has taken a really strong stand on armed standoffs uh, on, you know, in both, uh, both areas of life. So um, in the 70s, you had armed groups in Philadelphia um, that were essentially bombed out of their homes um, by federal law enforcement. And in the 90s, you had the, the Waco, Texas uh, incident um, where federal, the federal government came in. And now we're seeing this, this uh, Trump brand of leniency on 
I guess, armed standoff police over political reasons. Do you think that this will be extended universally? I think we're going to see more of it. I think uh, it's going to be a culmination of things. So you see the dog whistles and the nods to these uh, these far light, uh, right-leaning uh, militias. And it's just sending a message to them saying, hey, look, we understand. So I think it's going to embolden people like this in the future. Yeah, I, I would have to say that I agree. And I guess what I'm afraid of, when, when I talked about the Philadelphia incident, I was talking about Move, who um, it's a guy named Mumia Abul-Jamal, who had a long-running um, segment on NPR, um, was part of a, a group called Move, uh, a Black Power group in the 70s, who basically created a commune um, in the city of Philadelphia. And starting in um, 1977, uh, the Philadelphia Police Department um, decided that they were going to make them vacate this this commune, um, which was in the Powelton Village section of West Philadelphia. And there was an armed standoff then. Um, and uh, MOVE members actually ended up surrendering. However, um, in 1981, MOVE relocated to a row house um, in the Cobbs Creek area of West Philadelphia. Um, and police obtained arrest warrants again. And, and it was another armed standoff, tear gas. Um, and what ended up happening was from a Pennsylvania State Police helicopter, uh, Lieutenant Frank Powell, who was with the Philadelphia Police Department, proceeded to drop two one-pound bombs made of FBI-supplied water gel explosive, which is a dynamite substitute, um, and ended up blowing up that uh, row house. 11 people died um, in the resulting fire, and 250 people um, in the neighborhood were displaced because of their homes being destroyed. Um, and in that case, um, in 1996, a federal jury did order the city to pay a $1.5 million civil suit to um, a few of the survivors. Um, but again, you know, this was 15 years later. So honestly, in the money of that time, it might have just been enough to um, pay for the row house. And there was never really an official condemnation of these moves. And so what I'm a little bit fearful of is that it may embolden more of the militia in the rural areas, but I'm not sure that it will be any more tolerated in the urban areas. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. I think... Uh... Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. There seem to be uh, different rules out there, and uh, there could be a number of different factors that play into that. Well, let's move on to our next topic, and I think that's a, a great one that we can kind of touch back to later. The next topic is the general topic of state rights versus federalism. Chabe, who do you think is owning uh, this topic now? in terms of state rights, states' rights between the uh, Democrats and the Republicans. And um, where do you stand? Well, that is, a, is one of the more important questions that we're going to have to face right now. Because, I mean, when it comes to things like marijuana legalization, obviously I think it should be legalized in all 50 states, but a lot of people still view marijuana as a highly dangerous substance and I mean until they get educated on it there's not really much you can do there but when it comes to things like gay marriage I was in full support of the federal government stepping in and saying no this is legal in every state now but do you think that is a dangerous precedent to set when um, when the federal government when it's run by Democrats we like it right because that's what happens it's things like gay marriage that most people would agree is is something that needed to be legalized. But what happens if the GOP decides to just impose these massive um, restrictions on Planned Parenthood? Could they even do something like that? So basically, let me get this straight, is you're saying that states' rights is a way for a minority party or the opposition party to basically... Uh, have a whole nother level of um, 
of buffer or protection against policies that they are opposed to. Uh, it's yeah, a- so if you live in, yeah, if you live in a state that has uh, like a hard blue state or a hard red state, and most people agree on a certain set of core values, as it were, as they were, um, then how how do we decipher when it's time for the federal government to step in? What policies should be implemented and what should be left up to the states? Before I um, kind of go on my little experiential, you know, like so my own personal experience with with this, uh, is there anything you want to add in terms of your personal opinion on it? Well, why don't you go ahead and take the wheel for a minute and then I will see and then we'll take it from there. Okay, sounds good. Um, so um, for our listeners, uh, I was raised by two generally liberal parents. Uh, my father is a little bit more moderate, fr- uh, free trade type of liberal. Uh, he served in the military, was raised in Colorado, back when Colorado was a stronghold for the Republican Party. Um, and so he has kind of more of a, uh Old West take on, uh, on liberalism, and it definitely is big. First Amendment rights, uh, some support for Second Amendment rights, uh, not a hardliner by any means. My mother grew up in Southern Ohio um, and was raised very conservative. Um, However, um, later in life became um, extremely liberal. And I would say at this point, my mother might be more liberal than I am. Um, And I don't think anybody's, you know, surprised that I can self-identify to a certain extent as liberal as we have two blue dogs as our lo- our new logo. Oh, by the way, we have a new logo. <laughs> we do. It's awesome. Although I don't know why you made me a puppy. Uh, like, I told, that, I told the guy that a little bit smaller. I said a little bit shorter dog. <laughs> they made you a puppy. It's all right. I think your dog yeah. looks cooler, anyways. So. All right. Well, that, I don't need I don't need you <laughs> to condescend to my little ass dog. Fine. So in any fine. case. Fine Back to state rights versus federalism. This is an issue that me and my mom have actually disagreed on quite a bit over the few uh, last few years. I totally believe um, that the states should be uh, laboratories for democracy, as the saying goes. And um, I think that it's good to have to let the states explore different policies. And in that way, if you don't like what a state's doing, you get up and move. Granted, it's not necessarily easy to move, but in the United States, fortunately, we have a system where all you really need is a car or even to take a bus ticket and you can go to another state without any barrier at the state border. I think that's one of the beautiful things about this country. My mom, on the other hand, she's very strong in federalism and she thinks that there are certain things that need to be a national standard. I think that she would probably more focus on like education, healthcare, um, perhaps law enforcement, and her point is, is that if you allow the states to be completely up to their own uh, devices, if a state fails, you end up having a domestic refugee crisis. And then other states have to shoulder the burden. Now, while I don't think that that should get rid of states' rights, I do think that that's a really fair point. Growing up in Minnesota has a really strong uh, health care system. And in particular, what's happened with uh, places like Chicago, uh, when they've gone into debt crises, or places like Michigan or Indiana, when um, plants got shuttered, um, a lot of poor people from those areas have tended to move to Minnesota for the free health care and, um, and the social safety net there. And it does put some strain on the system. On top of that, in Minnesota, and this is secondary, but it is an effect is that more, a disproportionate amount of these people, because we have an unequal society when it comes to um, ethnicity and cultural background, tend to be um, you know, from pretty much every group outside of, uh, outside of WAS, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And so there's this really skewed and somewhat segregated society in Minnesota because you have the dregs or the, the, you know, the very poor and, and desperate people from all these states around Minnesota moving in, um, and then the indigenous, uh, indigenous or like the um, incumbent middle class there is so made up of just one group. 
And it, it's led itself to some serious tensions, as we've seen with the Philando Castile case um, and another recent case at Minnehaha Falls um, with two young boys who were arrested for so far no reason. They haven't been able to find a reason. A lot of eyewitnesses said they were actually the ones being harassed uh, by a park goer. Um, and so I see, I see kind of what her point is, but I still think it's really important that we, just as we cast our vote in the ballot box, that you vote with your feet. And I tell that people that all the time. And that's my point of view on it. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so any thoughts on that? Um, not at the moment, honestly. I think um, I'm still a little bit torn, honestly. I... I think we're going to have to see how things play out with the Trump administration on certain key issues. Well, can you give me a hypothetical in terms of what you'd be for and what you'd be against? Well, I would be for the legalization of marijuana because, I mean, for a number of reasons, but on the federal uh, level, on the federal level. Yeah. Because there are a lot of sentences that should be commuted in regards to that, there are a lot of people that are in jail that shouldn't be. So it seems like a kind of a human rights issue where you have some people in states where it's totally legal to do something. And then like, I mean, for example, Utah and Colorado share a border, but they could not be more different. So, I mean, if you drive from Utah to Colorado, you go from a state where marijuana is considered to be as deadly as heroin or any other top tier drug, then you drive over a line and you can you can buy marijuana legally on the side of the highway. So there are just certain things like that that don't make any sense. But what I would be against is um, even more federal or even more restrictions on access to Planned Parenthood. So I think that is something that needs to be, I think we need to change the narrative around Planned Parenthood in general. And I don't think liberals are doing any justice by uh, claiming to love abortions. I mean, you have to remember who you're talking to. You're talking to people that think that abortion is murder. If you, if you want to beat them in that argument, you need to try to convince them that it's not instead of just rubbing it in their face. I don't think that's helping the narrative at all. <clears throat> What, so when you have these two different like moral camps, right? And each are saying states' rights for these different issues. Um, why would you consider marijuana prohibition and abortion prohibition different? In terms why would I consider? In terms of how you okay. want because I think you have to look at the facts. I think you have to look at the data. And there is no data that suggests that marijuana is a deadly substance that should be considered as dangerous as methamphetamine or uh, heroin or any opiates like that. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, when you look at that data, you can't in your right mind say that marijuana should be illegal. And because it's illegal, you have people in jail that shouldn't be. So your your take is kind of like the federal government should step in if it's related to public health. And if there's data to show that, um, you know, for example, with marijuana, it has no harm to public health, wherein imprisonment for public uh, for marijuana possession does have a negative uh, public health impact. And wherein having abortion clinics has a, a positive impact and not having them has a negative one, the federal government should side on the positive public health impact of any initiative. Mm -hmm. I think when the evidence is overwhelming and uh, I think people should follow that. I think people should pay attention to data and make decisions based on hard evidence. And Planned Parenthood also does a lot of good for the community. And, providing contraception, um, uh, providing um, STD testing for people that can't afford health care. It's something that should be a staple in communities. I, I, I see where you're going with this, and I kind of get it, but I just feel like it's somewhat a slippery slope as well. Um, because, for example, 
prohibition of alcohol was made because of public health concerns. Right. That actually makes more sense than marijuana. I mean, it does, but then the arguments that are being made for repealing uh, marijuana prohibition are the same ones that were made for alcohol prohibition. Um, so I guess I'm like, the main thing is, is like, there's gotta be a lot, for example, um, vaccinations. Do you think that vaccinations should be federally mandated? Yes, because it becomes a public health concern. There are certain, see, I am for big government in certain situations because as much as people would like to believe that everybody can just live their sovereign existence and it has no effect on others, it does. It always does. And that can tie into our first uh, conversation. So if you don't vaccinate your child, it's not your right to do that. Now you're putting other children and other adults at risk of getting things like measles. Got it. All right. And I think, you know, to be honest with you, I think that that's more towards um, my mother's viewpoint on that. And um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, again, I understand that point of view, but I just feel like it's it's a slippery slope. Um, and so for right now, um, Joe Collins is still a states rights Democrat. <laughs> and how how is it a slippery slope? just if you don't mind, um, if it's left up to individual parents to decide whether their kids should be vaccinated. Oh, I meant uh, it's a slippery slope of deciding. Um, what's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also what's within the federal government's pure purview. Um, I do believe that you can add amendments to the Constitution. Um, that's one of the... the um, mechanisms that were left to us by the framers. Um, and I do believe that you can, I mean, the, the preamble of the constitution does to say to provide for uh, the general welfare and people like to leave that out. Um, but I think you have to be really intentional about that and you have to see, you have to really identify who are the stakeholders um, and and move from there. And I, I don't think you can do that unless you have some level of consensus and a hypothesis that's been thoroughly, thoroughly tested. Um, what I also think what fears some people with the vaccina vaccination side, now granted, I am totally pro-vaccination. I will not miss a vaccination. And the one time I missed a flu shot, I got so ill, and this was this last year, I'm never gonna miss a flu shot again. That it was just, it's just not worth it. Got not worth it. I got viral meningitis, had uh, ditty spells for five to six weeks. So I'm not missing a flu shot again. Um, but um, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I think you just have to make sure that <clears throat> that it, it's for real, for real. Um, in the past, we've had things like the Tuskegee experiment, right, where they where they said that they were giving these guys in Tennessee, these black guys, um, uh, vaccinations, and it ended up being that they were testing syphilis on them in this small town in Tennessee. Um, it's either Tennessee or Alabama, I think it's Tennessee, um, to see what syphilis looks like. And in the kind of Byzantine structure of our government, you know, things like this do happen. And, <clears throat> you know, who's to say it's not going to be you? And I don't, I'm not saying that as a scare tactic, but I'm just saying that these things I think should have to come through a memorandum or through a certain um, threshold of how many of our legislators support it when we're mandating certain public health initiatives. Um, because ultimately, you know, the whole point of the abortion uh, conversation is that the government shouldn't have any say in women's bodies. And to a certain extent, when you start saying you have to get a vaccination, you're federally mandated to get a vaccination, you're federally mandated, uh, you know, same thing with the uh, marijuana debate, you're federally mandated to not use marijuana, even though there's some evidence that it can be helpful for certain diseases. Um, I feel like it's the government kind of telling you what you should do with your body. 
And um, I just think it's a very tricky area. Um, and I don't know. I guess, like I said, it just I, I, I definitely feel your sentiment that federalism has a place in public health. But I do not think that as a society, we've developed a consensus of what that looks like. And I'm not sure that public health is even something that you can mandate on people. For example, um, alcohol prohibition. You know, it was mandated that nobody drank alcohol, but people still did it. And what they ended up doing was drinking, you know, like all these chemicals that were put into um, basically splice the alcohol and it created almost a worse public health situation than when the alcohol was legal. And so that's why I just, it's a tricky subject that I think would take a lot longer to discuss than we have on this, this segment, if that makes any sense. And I would agree. And I definitely see your point there that um, certain things, uh, if we're, let's say we start pushing some type of pseudoscience into the, into the narrative, and then we could try to, uh, to implement that on people, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a good thing. So um, in the meantime, I guess the reason why I'm state, I'm still kind of states rights and, and pro freedom, I guess what I mean by that pro individual freedom um, is again, with states rights, you can always just leave and go to a state that actually does align with the, the philosophies you have on public health and all that. You know, there's always that option. Um, so, again, I think actually this would be good to revisit because um, another thing that kind of overlaps with this is the transplant system, the organ transplant system. And it's really interesting because um, states like California and New York, uh, Minnesota in particular, uh, the Pacific Northwest, you know, high income um, high tax states, liberal strongholds where a lot of people move for jobs, these places actually have a harder time, um, there's a harder time procuring transplants than there is in places like Florida, Louisiana, um, South Carolina. And my sneaking suspicion is because, one, there's, um, you know, more state aid for healthcare in those places. There's um, higher income population um, and so there's more people who can afford the procedure. And thus, I think there's there's um, less organs. Um, and so if we had the same level of development across the country, it might be that we actually had less organs to donate as well, which is a, a morbid thing to think about. But I think it definitely plays into the same topic. And, and maybe we put that on the shelf and talk about it at a different time. Yeah, we can definitely come back to that one. So uh, the last one, we just kind of wanted to do something kind of silly um, about the states. And uh, we just want to do one sentence state predictions for the next 20 years. Uh, we're in a time of very dynamic change and they can go any direction, but I thought it might be fun to play this little game. Um, so I've got my list ready. Do you have a alphabetical letter of or list of the states in front of you, Chabe? No, I don't. <laughs> I was just going to wing it. Do you want me to just name them off? <laughs> How are we doing this? We should just go we're down. Just gonna, yeah. Just go All down. Right, what's list the first off. one? The first one is Alabama. You can take it. Alabama. <laughs> I predict that Alabama will elect a MAGA hat to the Senate. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fair. In the next 20 years, I think I think that's like the next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got Alaska. Uh, Alaska will still be cold, just not as cold. Arizona. That's actually true. Yeah. That's, that's true and sad. <laughs> Arizona. Arizona will be annexed by Mexico. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so I got Arkansas. Um, Arkansas. That's a difficult one. <laughs> try, just try to spell Arkansas. 
more people will know what's in Arkansas in the next 20 years. <laughs> How do we know that, though? Um, because I don't think anybody knows anything about Arkansas right now. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. All right. You got California, man. You, th- you know, I think I've been to Arkansas, but the fact that I don't know is kind of leaning into your point. <laughs> California. Let's see. That it that one seems like it's so easy, but it's not. In all seriousness, I think California will become multiple states. Mm. Well, they tried this last week. Uh, the judge, a judge, struck down their plan to split into three or four states. So it's going to take a lot more political will, but it's possible. Um, I got Colorado. I am going to say that Colorado becomes the third most populous state. I think it is the third most populous state in the West. So let's change that. I will say Colorado doubles its population over the next 20 years. Yeah, I'm, I would not be shocked if that happened. I mean, they're constantly developing here. And everybody here is trying to move there. Everybody here is trying to yeah. move. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, Denver's going to get bigger. Yeah. I mean, it's already kind of like a miniature L.A. right now. And plus there's room to go grow in Denver. I mean – you can be um, on the periphery of Denver and you can still see where the city ends. And, and um, if you compare that to New York or California, it's, it's got plenty of room to expand. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Connecticut. Um, I think Connecticut will continue to claim that they have better pizza than New York and no one will care. Uh, I got Delaware. I think Delaware becomes, as the East Coast becomes more populous, Delaware becomes the uh, gambling capital of the East Coast. Interesting. Florida. Florida. um, I think we will see the emergence of a new drug-resistant alligator chlamydia. Uh, uh, I got Georgia. Georgia will create a 25th variety of fried chicken. <laughs> oh, man. Pushing the envelope, as <laughs> always. Good on you. Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii will either still exist or it won't. <laughs> That's how I feel about Hawaii. Isn't it on fire still? Uh, it's mainly the big island. It's creating more land, actually. So. It's getting bigger. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be there or it won't. Well, who knows? <laughs> uh, I got Idaho. Um, Idaho will have more than 10 black people. Huh. <laughs> that was a bold <laughs> prediction. <laughs> All right, let me put it this way. Idaho will have more than a thousand black people. We'll put it that way. That's okay. that's I'll stretch it to that far. Okay. I won't even ask you to explain it. You got Illinois. Uh Illinois will continue to suck. <laughs> It'll get hotter and the mosquitoes will get bigger and that's that. I got Indiana. I will say that uh, Indiana Indiana becomes the capital of the new confederacy. <laughs> Interesting. So that so we're just going right into Civil War Part Two. Um, no, but I think Indiana gets special consideration. I mean, 
I said it'd be the capital of the new confederacy. We didn't say how long that confederacy would last. I mean, it could be like a day, you know. But if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen in Indiana. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. A meth-fueled uprising. <laughs> uh, I, you got, what do we got? Iowa? Iowa will have to add more consonants to its name. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have to take what you said yesterday for Kansas and for Kansas people will decide that we don't really need that anymore yeah no we don't (laughs) and you got Kentucky Kentucky I'm just waiting for Elon Musk to make a wormhole that can just take you from one side to the other. I'm definitely sounding like a liberal elitist. Let's see. Kentucky, uh, they will lose their their monopoly on fried chicken when Georgia takes over. And I, would, I would argue they already have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I got Louisiana. Yeah, I got Louisiana. Um, man, Louisiana. Uh, that's tough, man. I want, I really want Louisiana to succeed. I do, but, uh, gosh, um, that's tough. Louisiana is a real tough one. Uh, I'll give you this. I think that, um, LSU, Louisiana State University will win another national football championship. I'll give them that. There you go. Okay. Uh, Maine. I think Maine will be invaded by Canada and no one will notice. Uh, I got Maryland and I'm going to say that Maryland... Maryland becomes the third it spot after after California and New York with its own uh, tech and entertainment scene. I can definitely attest to the entertainment scene being on the rise in Maryland. There's a lot of culture there in the DMV that uh, that everybody knows but don't know where it comes from. Uh, you got Massachusetts, man. Uh, Massachusetts will get progressively more liberal. Progressively more liberal. Did it cut out? Yeah, it cut out. Um, It'll get more liberal? I think so. I think uh, you're going to see Boston Dynamics is going to grow exponentially. I think AI is going to take a stronghold out there. It's going to become like a little mini Silicon Valley. I got Michigan. I think Michigan's going to get hit really hard by this upcoming um, uh, financial crisis because they always come. There's always another one. Um, But I think after that, we might actually finally see a resurgence of Michigan, especially um, if um, the electric car is made there. The production is, is shifted to Michigan. You got Minnesota. You got Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota will have long Game of Thrones winters. <laughs> um, well, there's definitely White Walkers there. Um, Mississippi. <laughs> I got Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi. Boy, I, I'm getting the, I'm getting some tough ones. <laughs> Louisiana and Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi. Uh, good God. Uh, <laughs> Mississippi has nowhere to go but up, and it will go up in some way or form. They will create some industry that. Uh, 
that allows them to compete in some way. Uh, <laughs> Just a glowing. <laughs> oh, hey, man. by the way, my my lineage is Mississippian, so I, I'm being very honest. Said, well, they can't get worse. They really can't get worse. So they have to do well. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's nowhere to go wet up for Mississippi. So, well. We'll hope that happens. We'll hopefully we'll see that happening. Uh, you got Missouri. Missouri. Um, I will continue to not know where Missouri is on the map. Uh, it's right there in the middle, man. I got Mount. They're all there. I got Montana. I actually think Montana. After people get priced out of all the coastal cities in Colorado, I think Montana is going to be the next um, big boom state. Out west. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You got Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska is going to have more tornadoes. Yeah, that's a pretty safe bet. I got Nevada. Um, Reno will also become a much bigger city. And I think over time, Reno will become the dominant city in Nevada over Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, you've got New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire will merge with Vermont. Because could, why not? I could totally see that happening if California split into a couple states. Um, I got New Jersey. Um, New Jersey will continue to be a butt of jokes for New Yorkers. New Mexico for you. New Mexico. Um, it would be interesting if um, if television made a comeback to Me- to New Mexico a couple of years ago. They were shooting a lot of popular television shows there, and Albuquerque was becoming kind of a new hot spot for film, for television, and then it just fell off after the end of Breaking Bad. So who knows? Maybe people will get back into it. I got New York. New York will get hit by another major hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I could see that happening. You got North Carolina. North Carolina will still be ranked the best state to live in in the country. I got North Dakota. Uh, North Dakota will become a sinkhole due to fracking. (laughs) You've got Ohio. Ohio. Ohio will intentionally flood itself to become more like their doppelganger Florida Mm. Mm. Um, I got Oklahoma I'll say uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma actually continues to grow um, continues to be dominant in sports um, and becomes not now but 20 years from now will become a purple state Uh, Oregon. I think Oregon will. Uh, I think Oregon will continue to see people leave the state, take their businesses elsewhere. Why is that? I think that they're going to follow Washington's lead in taxing. Uh, business owners that are at an incredibly high rate. Mm. Um, I've got Pennsylvania. Um, I think Pennsylvania is continues to like it keeps the same position that it has now. It is the one that 20 years from now will be the most like it still is today. Yeah, I can see that. Rhode Island. Rhode Island 
will become a part of whatever state it's next to right now. That would be Massachusetts and Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. Just figure that out. We don't need Rhode Island. South Car- I got South Carolina. Um, I think South Carolina is another state that is going to have um, a big boom. I think um, people are falling in love with Greenville. They're falling in love with Charleston. Um, they're moderating a little bit. They're a diverse state. And I think that um, you're going to start to see people from North Carolina and Georgia seeing value in South Carolina. Yeah, I definitely say it's on the rise. You got South Dakota. South Dakota, I think, is going to see a rise in future hipsters. Interesting. I can't explain it. Can't explain it. It's just a feeling. It's just a gut feeling. I got Tennessee. Um, Tennessee. I think um, Nashville uh, continues to do well in the medical space. Um, I think Tennessee overall is going to grow. I see Tennessee actually being a future hub of, uh, of Republican politics, even more so than Texas. I think Tennessee will overtake Texas as being kind of the heart of uh, kind of Republican uh, politics combined with like strong business. Um, And then you got Texas. Yeah, I think Texas will actually be the state that's most like itself in 20 years. Really? Yeah, I don't think Texas changes. Okay. Uh, I got Utah. Um, Utah will be majority non-Mormon in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. You got Vermont. Vermont will see a decrease in tourism as all of their trees die due to global warming. Ooh, that's sad. That's sad. (laughs) I got Virginia. Um, I think the Virginia side of the DMV will grow actually um, larger and more innovative than the Maryland side over time, Um, just because the Virginia side has more room to grow and less regulation. Um, You got Washington. Yeah, I think Washington will have a spike in conservative politics following the departure of a lot of major companies. Interesting. I got West Virginia. I think that there's going to be some sort of federal intervention in West Virginia within the next 20 years. Um, and I don't know what form it's going to take, but I just think that there's going to get to a point where everything around West Virginia is going to be like, we just can't let people live like this. Um, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be laughing. Yeah, I mean, I think that at some point, people are just going to be like, we have to look out for our, 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 our brothers and sisters over there in West Virginia. Um, yeah. So then it's uh, Wisconsin for you? Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is going to do well. I think uh, I think their sports teams are going to get better, and I think more people are going to be meeting people from Wisconsin and and the culture is going to take more of a stronghold. I got to take you to Wisconsin sometime. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to add that I've never been there, but I've liked everybody I've met from there. <laughs> and last is Wyoming. And I would say that Wyoming continues to dislike anybody who's not from Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. Highly accurate. All right, so we just got our last segment um, that we're doing every week. Uh, we'll start with our evil geniuses of the week. So who you got? Uh, I hate myself, but Takashi 6 9 <laughs> Why? Uh, he he made a video with Nicki Minaj that I refuse to watch. It's two literal clowns, but um, he he was recently robbed and kidnapped 
at gunpoint, and uh, and a lot of people believe that it's just a uh, publicity stunt to promote his new single because this seems to be the way that the hip hop community promotes songs now and music in general. They're like, hey, let's have a fake outrage or a controversy, and then also I'm dropping my whatever, whatever this week. So as much as I hate it, he is at the forefront of promoting himself. Do I think it's sustainable? Of course not. But a lot of people seem to to think that what he's doing is the way to do things. And who can blame him? Donald Trump is the president. So I'm actually, I'm going to cheat this week. um, And I'm going to stay with the hip hop theme as you've presented it. I'm going to go with Gucci Mane because his next album is going to be called The Evil Genius. So plug for Gucci. Oh, really? Evil Genius of the Week. Apparently, Evil Genius album is coming soon. Interesting. And then Leader of the Free World for the week. The Leader of the Free World for this week is Sasha Baron Cohen. Let's talk about... You You. You. Uh, sent me a text last night saying that a lot of people are going to get fired. So uh, unpack that for me because I still don't know what you were talking about. Yeah, so I might have spoke a little too soon on that one. So... It, he uh, in the first segment, so he plays this character named Duran Moran. He plays a and he he has like a fake jaw prosthetic. Like it, it's he has this crazy makeup on to make himself look like a an Israeli Mossad agent, and he just is trolling a GOP congressmen. Uh, and he gets a guy who was formerly recently a uh, a. Um, GOP lawmaker in Georgia at the state level. Okay. And he tricks this guy into being on his fake program where he's teaching him about self-defense. And he gets this guy to scream the N-word. He gets him to make absurd racial... racial, um, I I don't even know how to describe it. He's incredibly racist against Chinese people. And then he gets this guy to pull his pants down, expose his bare ass, and chase him around with it, saying, this is how we keep Muslims from attacking us in Israel, because if we touch them with our bare ass, they become gay. So he literally has this guy chasing him around, screaming, drop the weapon, USA, USA, with his bare ass out. And this guy's like a cop or what? No, this guy was a, uh, let, let me check and see exactly what he was. I think he just lost his primary... He also got Dick Cheney to sign a waterboarding kit on on the same episode. So it's not a good look. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is that Dick Cheney seemed to know something was up because he he tried to get a selfie with him and he was like, hey, can I get a dick pic? (laughs) It's it's just absurd. I think he's uh, I think that at the end of the day, a lot of these people that are getting made fun of are going to be low hanging fruit. And I, I don't know how much of an effect it's going to have on actual discourse, but I think it is, once again, he's finding brilliant ways from a comedic standpoint to make us hold a mirror to ourselves. And even though it's stuff we pretty much already know at this point, I think it still has some potency. And from a comedic standpoint, I got to say, sitting in front of Dick Cheney and asking him to sign your waterboarding kit and trying to get him to admit that he that he enjoys being in charge of killing people it's it takes balls and i think he's definitely got that so um my leader of the free world this week um i think um i don't have a really great one um so i'm gonna go with just some people who are are standing up for their rights and i'm gonna go with the nicaraguan freedom fighters um, standing up against President Ortega in their country. It's sad that it took the point that they had to, uh, they they mainly did it because their Social Security benefits were getting pulled. Um, but from everything I've heard, um, it was just kind of the, the, um, the straw that broke the camel's back. And so it's good that they're finally standing up for themselves. Um, hopefully that they can get a lot of global support and, um, and have some sort of peaceful um, and prosperous democracy there. Although, as we've seen over the last 20 years, um, it's probably going to take a while. 
and Central America in general has a lot of um, issues as a region that they'll have to probably overcome before they'll have a, a full-on um, somewhat equal democracy there. So, But I, at least right now, you got to give it to them. They're standing up for themselves um, and standing up for each other. So, All right. So <clears throat> that's the third episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with guest Noel Gordon. Um, he has he's getting a master's in public policy and uh, MBA from the University of Minnesota. Did his undergrad at the University of Michigan. Um, very involved with the human rights campaign in Washington D.C. Um, and the next uh, episode, we're actually going to talk about the idea of race. So this is. You know, something that some of us we've heard so many times, other ones of us um, like to hear new opinions on it. Um, I think Noel will be a great um, addition as a um, Afro-Latin homosexual leader. Um, I think that he'll he'll have a diversity of opinion, especially having lived in a a city like D.C. and with his his um, very thorough education on uh, policy and business. So until then, I guess have a great week. Yeah. Happy shark week. (laughs) Indeed.